Welcome to the Data Podcast. My name is Brian Ward, the creator and host of the Data Podcast. I am a coach, Marine Corps veteran, speaker, husband, and you guessed it, a dad. Are you ready to be inspired to be the best dad you can be for your family? This show will provide you with the tips, tools, and strategies to do just that. Are you a dad just going through the motions? Or are you looking to really elevate your dad game to the next level? Truth is, it is a blessing to be a dad. This is a responsibility we must take seriously. In the end, how do you want to be remembered? I hope you want to be remembered as a phenomenal dad. Your legacy starts in the home, not outside the home. If you're really ready to elevate your dad game, then make sure you bang that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. Now, let's get started. Data. All right, welcome to another episode of Dad Up, everyone. Thank you guys very much for joining me. I'm excited for the guests I have on. He and I have recently connected and just a genuine dude, and I'm really glad that he's uh, taken the time out of his day to uh, join me on the episode. My good Sean, Sean Leverett, has joined me on Dad Up. Welcome to the show, brother. Welcome, fam. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm honored to be here, bro. I'm not as nervous as when you did my podcast the other day. I feel like I feel like we've connected a little bit. So I've, I've kind of put that to the side. So I'm ready to go, man. But I truly am. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, your your episode was fun. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, this this his episode will come out uh, in, in another week or two. But uh, it, I was a guest on his show and, and he's doing a phenomenal job at what he's doing. He just started a podcast. So I'm really excited to see his journey take off. But um yeah, for let's do this for my listeners who may know who know who you are, learn a little bit more about you, a little bit about your background, kind of how you grew up, and then obviously this is oh, wow. a dad this is a dad podcast, so I want to know about your family as well. Yeah, uh, my name is Sean Leverett. Um, I'm a Southern California resident, uh, more specifically here in Manhattan Beach. Uh, awesome, I, I consider myself an awesome dad to two unbelievable boys. Uh, like I said, I grew up here in Los Angeles. Six siblings, two uh, two parents in the household, doing their thing daily. Uh, I'm, I am a Muay Thai instructor, been doing that for more than 30 years, personal trainer, certified personal trainer. I've uh, been doing that for more than 30 years. I We have a nonprofit organization called Rooted Friends Project, which is which gifts uh, and geared toward helping inner city kids, uplifting inner city kids. And as Brian just stated more recently, I threw my hat into the podcast ring. So I, this this is an opportunity for me to talk to my mentor right here. So I'm super excited. <laughs> well, thank you very much for that. Uh, that's so cool. I you know I, I did a little bit of research on you and I did see the the, the nonprofit. Let, let's talk a little bit about that first because I think that's so important. It's so it gives so much credibility to who you are as a man um, trying to help out the the youth of today and. We, you know, our kids are growing up in a world that's, that's rough. And I, I like to say this world right now is, is evil and um, we need to raise our kids and, and give them opportunities. And the fact that you have this nonprofit organization to help you do that uh, is remarkable. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up in uh, a rough neighborhood, no different. I'm not taking away from anything, but no different than any other rough neighborhood in any area. So we had liquor stores and we had churches. And I'm not saying that for effect because that is what we had. So you kind of went one way or the other. But there was always a sense of community. Uh, there was always a sense of whatever we wanted to do, we have it within us as a community to create it. So we would form football teams because we had one local park with no teams. We would form football teams based on our street. So I lived at 1523 East 90th Street. That's where the 1523 in my podcast comes from. And we would play against 89th Street. We would play against 91st Street. We would play against Mary. We would play against Beach Street. And I mean, and it grew so much where other neighborhoods would come and collectively. And I'm not exaggerating, man. We would have like 60 players on a team at one time wow. where it became one, where it become one side of the tracks versus the other side of the tracks. And you were dying to get into the game because the older kids uh, kind of you know, facilitated that, my brother included. So we, we didn't know at the time that we were without. You didn't know that you didn't have until you went outside of your neighborhood and you found other resources. And I, I've been playing sports all my life. 
but the closest place for me to play sports was some miles away. And when you're like a seven, eight year old kid, it seemed like, you know, uh, in, in a whole nother right. valley. Oh, so I, I played football, I played basketball, I played baseball year round, and it kept me out of trouble. So with that, you learned uh, not only just your physical limitations, but you learned what it was like, uh, how, how competition can be used as a tool to motivate you and move you forward. Uh, and also with that, there was no, when I wasn't playing, just being honest, when I wasn't playing sports, I was in trouble um, once I hit a certain age because the neighborhood dynamic had changed. The neighborhood had went from it being a community to the older people dying off or moving out and that kind of thing. And so the youngsters that were coming up, and you got to remember back then, everybody was in a two-parent household, everybody. Uh, I, I could count on one hand, I've told this story a million times, I could count on one hand of the kids that I grew up with that didn't have a mother and a father in, in, the, in the household. So you look at that dynamic where there was a sense of accountability. And you fast forward to even, you know, much later in 16, 17 years old, where you have the kids growing up and things were instituted. Gang life was instituted because gangs back in the day, they were social clubs. Uh, I, I lived in what, what was a Crip neighborhood. We used to play against Bloods and went to school with Bloods because you hear that Crip and Blood thing, that Crip and Blood confrontation. But back in the day, we all went to the same neighborhood. And if you had an issue with somebody who happened to live across the tracks, you had a fight, you squashed it at the end of the fight because you knew you're going to be at school the next day. And my brothers went to school with their brothers and my sisters went to school with their sisters. So we all got together. So you watch how that dynamic changed with the neighborhood where things were instituted like guns and that kind of thing. So you can come back from a fist fight. It's hard to come back from death. Right. It's hard to come back. It's hard to come back from being paralyzed. And there was a lot of that going on. So as opposed to if you and I had a fight and you and I were OK, you you shot me. All of a sudden, you're everybody's enemy over here. And the neighborhood doesn't forget uh, with, with with that kind of with that kind of episode going on in the neighborhood. Your, your mindset changed your mind if you you took you couldn't go play football i wasn't allowed to hang out with some of the guys that i used to hang out with back in the day because they lived in a certain neighborhood and because they were guilty by association and that's not the way it should be because it was confusing you know my brother would tell me well you know you can't hang out with vincent I'm like why not vincent's vincent's my friend you just cannot hang and it was never explained it was never um talked about uh, but as you went along, you, you'd hear stories and things about how there was issues going on or, or there was a drive-by or some of those other things going on, which created that kind of toxic, uh, toxic. Uh, I mean, just environment within a neighborhood where the environment wasn't safe anymore. Mm. You, you, you'd have to be on high alert. If you were like you normally hang out or, or you're, you're playing ball or doing something in a neighborhood and you saw a car from the other, from another neighborhood or a car you didn't recognize as being in your neighborhood, you, you need to pay attention to that. Mm. Does that car slow down? Does that car roll its windows down? Because you know what's coming next. And I can't tell you how many times I've been shot at or, or chased or, or things along that line. The sad part is it became so commonplace that you didn't even think about it. Mm. You, you'd had no, and I won't say you didn't have a disregard for your own life, uh, but it it was just part, it, it was like, this is part of what where we are. This is part of the neighborhood. This is part of what's, what's growing here. So uh, to watch that dynamic change, but there was still semi sense of collective community, but it was in smaller pockets, mm -hmm. as opposed to this huge community and another community on the other side, it became these smaller pockets. That's where these neighborhood gangs came into place where you'd have, uh, like, like let, let's say one gang was labeled a, a street. Another gang was labeled the next street. And another gang was labeled, let's say, four or five streets down. That's where you had these small pockets. And it wasn't like you drew it out demographically on a map. Mm -hmm. it, wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. It was just you knew not to go here and not to go there. And you couldn't be here. Uh, you couldn't wear a certain color. You just couldn't. And to watch that kind of evo uh, you know, evolution um, with, with the gangs and that kind of things that were going on, and you watching guys who you 
you know, hung out with or looked up to just a little bit, they were being locked up left and right. So you were kind of left to figure things out on your own. And granted, like I said, you could count the, the fatherless homes in my neighborhood on one hand. That didn't help because kids were still left to figure things out on their own. And if a neighborhood had a problem with you, it didn't matter your age. Mm. It didn't. It didn't. What, what mattered is that you were guilty by association. Right. And I, I'll tell this story real quick. Uh, 17 years old, my brother and I had the same kind of car, the exact same kind of car. His, his had a, a tail on it and some other things, but same color, same rims, same everything. So I go to see a friend of mine on a street that's an outcoach, which means one way in, you make a U-turn and you come out one way out. So I park down at the end of the block and, you know, cause I'm gonna go see her and she's not my girlfriend, but she's my friend and we're just gonna hang out. And I start walking and this is a neighborhood that I grew up in, you know, cause my school went there. I went to school there. And so I'm walking and guys approach me and they're like, and I'm, I'm just gonna use the dialect that they use, you know, hey, hey, cuz that's that car that rode on us last night. Meaning that car that they're looking at, um, someone rode by and shot at them. And I, and I saw a guy who I went to school with, I had known since I was maybe seven or eight years old because my brother dated his sister. And so, and his name was Sean also, but we called him Krabby. So I'm like, Krabby, you know me, you know I don't gangbang. He turned his back on me and told me I, I, I didn't know anything. Now to show you the different, uh, the, how time is different now, they were gonna pop me, meaning they were gonna shoot me. Uh, his, uh, Keisha's grandmother happened to come out of the house right then and told them to leave me alone. And they gave me a pass. You fast forward to now, that would never happen. They'd pop me and they'd pop her for being a witness. So to backtrack on why the nonprofit is uh, came into effect or how, how we went about that, we know what it's like to not have resources. We know what it's like to have resources and how resources open all kinds of doors and give you a different outlook. You get it? So if, if you keep a child busy, if you keep him occupied, if you make him think, if you if, if, if you speak love and you speak generosity and you speak power into his life, watch how he perks up to, to give him those things as opposed to a gang member putting his arm around you and telling you I got you because he know you doesn't have a he does he knows you don't have a father in the house. It's an easy sell for me to tell you I love you, I got you. Hey, I need you to go put in this work. I need you to go do this for me over here. Where your family now? Because your father's not around or your father's locked up or all those things. And as an impressionable kid, it it you understood and you could see how the kids would gravitate more so that than being at home or hanging out with you because you're the same age. You're not a father figure. Mm. So you didn't have that, that same pull. You didn't have the same kind of um, influence over them. It's like you'd see somebody and you're waving at them, you know, come play ball with us and they'd wave you off. And then you hear stories later on about how they got shot or how the police are looking for them or, or something along that line. I, I lost several friends to, uh, to violence as a kid. And some in my adulthood who had been out of the life, but who were still guilty by association for the things that they did in that past life. And they caught them later on. They, they, mm. What we used to call caught someone catching someone slipping, meaning not paying attention to the environment, not paying attention to where they are. And I, I'll use one example without giving a name. Guy had been out of the life forever, you know, working a regular job at, at a refinery. Um, was with his wife and two, he was with two, maybe three of his boys. And he stopped off near, near the old neighborhood uh, just to go into the store. Someone saw him go in there. They chased him in there and they shot him 17 times. Mm. Wow. How mad do you have to be? How mad do you have to be to shoot someone 17 times? And remember, he had been out the light forever. And this is, uh, we were in our late 20s, maybe. But they didn't kill him for what he was doing at the moment. They got him for what he had done in the past, whatever that may be. Because we had stopped hanging out a long time ago when I decided to go in a whole nother direction. And I think you and I talked about uh, me traveling with my brother who was in the military, and that changed my outlook. So, um, but 
it didn't change the love that I had for him because I knew him when he came, when he, when him and his family moved on the block from Tennessee. And this was a kid who couldn't come outside during the school year. He could only come outside during the summer. But he, he got that taste of freedom. He got that taste of gang life. He got that kind of empowerment. He got that kind of influence. And all of a sudden, he's doing things you never thought he'd do. Or he's putting in work, or what they used to call putting in work. We're talking pistols and shooting things. Um, with I mean, just it, it was just it was a wild, wild west for the longest time. So, and I'm getting off track. But the nonprofit for me came about based on what I know our neighborhoods didn't offer. Based on what I know, if you give kids access to 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 organized sports, if you give kids access to art, if you get give kids access to media, if you give kids access to, to, to nutrition and some of the other classes in which we offer and that kind of thing. It, it, it's it, it's, it's mind-blowing how kids are sponges, as you know, they're sponges. And if they're influenced the right way with someone who has their interest, they will absorb that. On the flip side, if you give the, you put them in an environment that's toxic, they don't know it's toxic, they will absorb that also and try to apply it to their daily life. And if you can find a child, the most dangerous, the most dangerous child, in my opinion, who one who doesn't understand consequence, who does not understand consequence before their actions, because they'll be thrown into something and they, they won't see the repercussions of it until it's done. And it's like, oh, wow. And then, OK, well, you're going to be locked up for the rest of your life. Or you're going to be looking over your shoulder for the rest of your life. Um, I, I talked to gang members and some ex-gang members and some of the kids who are who are growing up who call themselves gangsters, and I challenge them all the time. And they'll throw out what who they know or where they grew up, and I'll have to ask, do you sleep well at night? Yeah, I sleep fine. Then you weren't a gangster. Mm. Are you? Or do you feel safe when you walk down the street? Oh, yeah. Then you weren't a gangster. Those kind of real, and I'm not, it, it, it has, it's not a, it's not, it has nothing to do with ego. But the people who are putting in work and that kind of thing, I guarantee you they still carry to this day because the streets do not forget. And mm -hmm. their sons that are coming up and their family members that are coming up and the neighborhoods that they're enthralled in, those neighborhoods do not forget. I, I know people who are adults who still carry, who still keep their guns with them. Yeah. yeah. I know a guy who is in a wheelchair who was shot in a drive-by who's paralyzed from the waist down who keeps his gun under his wheelchair hmm. and you know I, I i try to talk to um kids or adults and that because um and television and media and that kind of thing it's always glorified right it's always being a gangster it's always glorified oh my god it, it's it, it's it's oh my god it's crazy oh ooh. and you feel that up you feel them come up and you feeling them with that kind of oh it's so exciting what they don't what they don't show is the smell of blood so much blood that you can smell the iron content in it mm. that's not the way that should be right. or someone who's being beat and left somewhere you'll see someone shot in the movies and they grab where they're shot and they're still able to lift their arm and still waddle off and and shoot at people and go hide and they get help for it and that kind of thing that's not real life if you've ever seen someone shot and a body just crumble, just drop yeah. without being shot. In the, I'm not to be talking about being shot in the head where it loses brain function. I'm talking about the body just shot, just shut down for whatever reason. That's the real life of street life. That that's that's the real life of being a gangster. So um, Celeste and I um, came up with, and I had had a nonprofit back in the day. That set up fitness programs and uh, fitness programs in inner city schools that offered gecko Roman wrestling, Muay Thai kickboxing, fencing, and those kind of things because these were and golf, but these are sports that weren't offered to us in our neighborhoods. It's easy to offer a kid, a Latino kid, a, so a, a soccer ball. It's easy to offer a kid a basket, a black kid, a basketball, because the majority of basketball players are black. The majority mm -hmm. of soccer players, at least from what you were seeing at that time, were Latino. So you had all these scholarships in these in these areas in fencing and Greco-Roman wrestling and uh, golf scholarships that were just available based on your race that we were not claiming. Mm -hmm. 
volleyball, we were just not claiming because number one, there's no there are no volleyball courts in my area. So how do I get better at that? How? There are no tennis courts in my in my neighborhood. How do I get better at that? You got plenty of basketballs and you got plenty of open fields. So you can get better at that all day and practice that against your neighborhood kids all day. So from your viewpoint, that was your only outlet. And if you wanted to play organized sports, you had to walk one way to Roosevelt Park or you had to walk the other way to where Rogers Park. If we walked up the street, hopped the fence and jumped on the railroad tracks, we could go one way to one park, one way to the other park. Now, the issue is in order for, and I'll, 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 I'll oof, I don't want to backtrack that. If, if I went to Will Rogers Park, I had to walk through enemy neighborhood. The difference between then and now, they gave me a pass because I, they knew I played ball. And I was there all the time. They didn't bother me at all. You could let him be. He's, he's going to hoop. Have fun, young blood. Okay. And that's the way it was then. Now it wouldn't be anything for them to, to just kind of pull up on you and pop you based on who you are or where you've been. Um, watching those kinds of episodes and those kind of, oh, man. How, how, how do I explain it where it, it, it doesn't sound sad? To, to watch that deterioration of our neighborhood, to watch all that talent at that age just disappear. Jail, death, and some of the other things that just... I, I, I'll tell you how bad it was. There was a kid and bigger kid, buff kid, uh, two of them. Um, and one, he's trying to be in a gang life, had a very strong family, very strong family. And his mother moved, mother and father moved him to Texas to be with his, his other siblings. The neighborhood took issue with that. Mm. That's not the way that should be. You should want this young man to get out of here. You get it? So, and I say that to say prior to that, some way before that, it would have been, they would have been applauding. The older gangsters and the older guys who were coming up would have been applauding, you know, look forward to seeing you again. The newer gangsters are like, okay, well, you're taking away from our strength. Why are you leaving? No, you can't go. And if you did decide to go, all of a sudden you are their enemy, which is what happened to me. When I came back from Okinawa, when I came back from visiting my brother in Japan, I saw the neighborhood differently, as you and I talked on my podcast, where I the, the streets seemed really small. The neighborhood seemed really small. And you could see everything for what it was. There was no tunnel vision anymore. So I, I didn't want to hang out and do the things that I did anymore. So with that, I was in a house all the time. And at that time, my brother was overseas. My other brother, uh, he was, he, I'm not sure, D, D might have been locked up for a little bit. I'm using his name. Uh, my other brother might have been locked up or he, he just wasn't around like that. He wasn't paying attention to what was going on with us. Where I had issue with the guys who were, and these were the young, these were the guys I, I was hanging out with, but these were the youngsters who were coming up. So so you look at that, that, that cycle. And it was just like, you know, well, that's that mark or that's that hook. Mark and hook meant that these were guys that, that you were a gangster and you were down with us before. You're not down with us anymore. So if you got labeled a mark, any local gang, they wanted any local gangster to have beef with you. If you got labeled a hook, they wanted any local gangster to have issue with you. That's not the way that should be. We should have been uplifting. We should have been prioritizing strength. We should have been prioritizing collectively. If we put this thing together collectively, we have the numbers financially to empower this neighborhood and bring it up. Because there were no jobs in our neighborhood. When I say churches and liquor stores, I, I'm not exaggerating with that. We hustled bottles, cans, painted fences, uh, went to the local went to the local uh, liquor stores and see if we could tear down cardboard what you could get paid for. But there were no jobs. There, there were because there's no fast food or anything like that for young adults. Uh, I remember back in the day, and I, I'm sure I'm older than you because I'll be 56 um, next week. I'll be 56 next weekend. Uh, back in the day, if you could get a work permit when you were 12 years old, 12. So I remember when McDonald's was having uh, hiring. McDonald's was hiring. So long ways away, and the line, I kid you not, was for blocks, mm. just to interview blocks. 
that was a con because there was nothing available. This has become available, and this is where everybody was going. Imagine if you had those kind, you had several of those in, in the neighborhood, or you had several job opportunities or 10 job opportunities or whatever in the neighborhood where you can kind of facilitate that and give these kids that experience where they know what it feels like to work for something, to receive reward for what they work for, to be able to apply it to their daily life and to bring their kids up in that environment. You get it? Yeah. So that is how, and I'm rambling a little bit, but that is how the nonprofit came about for us. We just wanted to do it the right way this time. And we've been blessed in the sense that we have a strong board. We have a little bit of everybody from every every walk of life, uh, different neighborhoods. Uh, I've, and everybody stays in their lane. Um, I have a background in fitness. I've been doing that for more than 30 years. Celeste has a background in finance. Uh, my, my guy, Jordan, is an actor. You know, he, he takes care of the theater the theater department. So, uh, man, it, it's, it, it, I, it, it excites me, but it, it, it makes you nervous because you don't feel like you're moving fast enough. Right. It, it, it's like, okay, well, if this is not happening right now, we're missing a demographic. If this is not happening right now, there's, some, there's someone somewhere that we could be helping who's falling through the holes. Right. You get it? Because right. we don't, because we don't have a brick and mortar location, we do everything where we travel and set up, and we've gotten uh, people involved and cities involved and that kind of thing. But we always, there's always that 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 where you struggle with, man, we should be doing more. Somebody needs us right now, and and there's nothing we can do about it. But there's always that kind of urgency based on what you know and how quickly things can change. Well, that kid is gone, or that kid loses interest. Or you don't have that kid's contact information anymore. And that one, and it's just one because I'm of the mindset I can save everybody. I've always been that way. I know it's not factual and I know it's, you know, it's a pipe dream, but I'm always thinking I can save everybody. So that always drives me with the nonprofit. Yeah, that's cool. I, I, I love, I love the stories that you shared there because it's, it's, it's real, it's genuine. And it's what was a part of your life. The fact that you have now two boys that, uh, one of them's older, right? One of them's still a teenager, but you're trying to raise them in a, in a, in a world uh, that is uh, worse now than it was when you and I were younger, right? Uh, you are a little, you are a little bit older than me. I'm 50. You're, uh, you're going to be 56. I'm 50. But you know, in back in that day, it was just like that. We, if you had beef with somebody, you knocked it out and then it was over. And now it's not like that anymore. But speaking, speaking about, you know, so I thank you for starting that, that nonprofit. I, I think even if you're saving one child, I think you're doing a remarkable right. thing. In, in my view, you're doing God's work. I think that's, that's remarkable on your part. So um, I appreciate that. And I wish it all the best. I hope that it succeeds and becomes everything that you hope it to be. But speaking to the impact that you're making, not only in that world, but in your home, the fact that you have <laughs> these two boys that are essentially looking up to you, right? They need guidance. They need role models. But we're talking about a world right now that is just um, inundated with with race hate, and this 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 world that, like you said, the media just kind of it just makes it shine. Um, how do you, as a as a black father, how do you teach your boys and equip equip your boys to handle race hate? Because that's still prevalent. Back then, it might have been a lot worse, but now it's really bad. I mean, how, how do you protect them or how do you equip them um, growing up in this society? Yeah, uh, for protection, I, I, I've never thought of it. I've never thought of that. Um, hmm. I, I'll give an example. Um, we grew up in a neighborhood where you could count people who didn't look like us on, on, on a few hands, you get it on a few hands. So you didn't have that experience to interact. Uh, my mother and father grew up in a time where they were discriminated against. And I'm talking, I, you know, we're talking police dogs. We're talking some of the things, you know, our, our families lynchings down South and that kind of thing where you'd hear stories. We didn't have that, but they were very, very protective of us. Where, and it's like, they didn't want you going outside of the neighborhood. 
my mother up until the time when she passed, she was still weary of me traveling and what people could or people could or might do to me, you know? So, and her, based on her experiences, she would give you that or, or and not scare you on purpose, but some of the conversations that she would have with you were, okay, mama, that that's, that's not happening. Uh, because the schools that she wanted to go to, she could not, she wasn't allowed to go to. And these are kids, these are schools that are in the inner city now, which are all black or mostly Latino and that kind of like Fremont, John C. Fremont here in LA. Inglewood High School was all white and you could not attend Inglewood. She wanted to go to Inglewood High School. She could not go to Inglewood High School because Inglewood High School was all white. So those Huntington Park, which is what, 99% Latino now, was all white. So they didn't allow her to shop in those stores or, or anything like that. Um, and But she would give you these stories, not to scare you, but in, in, in her eyes to protect you and to prepare you. And I, just being honest, I felt the same way. Even though I didn't have that experience, I was going off what my mother said. And I'll tell this story real quick. It took one guy, guy Gary. I don't know Gary's last name. And if I saw Gary today, I guarantee he wouldn't recognize me. I wouldn't recognize him. So we went to the beach uh, as a family. We went to the beach and we're hanging out. And the car, and this is before cell phones, obviously, car would not start. So they had to walk to find a cell phone. I mean, find a payphone. And a guy who lived on the beach, big old house, named Gary, sees these two black kids just running around, two kids who happen to be black, running around. And we were cold. It was the beach. So at nighttime, it gets cooler. So he called us over, invited us in the house. Now today, that might have been, you know, done the wrong way. But he's like, you know, stay here. He left us in his house. Huge, beautiful place. First house I'd ever experienced with, Upstairs. So he left, <laughs> really, he, he left us in his house, went to the store, got food, got spaghetti, came back and made us dinner. That changed my perspective. I'm thinking, like, these are the people my mother's telling me to be afraid of. Uh, okay. And and it, it confused me. So you fast forward to where you're hanging out as you get a little older, that kind of stuff, and you find that people are all the same. We in 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 their essence, you know, you got good and bad in every race, in every race. So you let people do what they do. You don't let that change you and your outlook on them. There's no way you should ever group somebody based on what one person did to you, no matter how they look, no matter what they say their religion is. You never do that. And blessed in the sense that on both my, um, their mom's side and my side of the family, we've always been of that same mindset. So you prepare them that way and you immerse them in cultures that where people don't look like you. You expose them to opportunities where the, the majority of the people don't look like you. And with that, you find that kids, everything is taught, as we know. Mm -hmm. Everything's taught. Racism and all, no one grows up being a racist. It's taught. So with that, until that is, 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 is seen, if somebody shows you a different side of them, that's different. But you do not go into any relationship or any environment expecting anybody to treat you wrong. Mm. You have no expectations about people at all. So I, I look at my my oldest who's been he he's been around the world. He's gone to Africa to, to build uh to build huts and electricity lines and deal water wells, but he's also gone to Europe and he's traveled extensively. Get it? My youngest son is at a school where the majority of the kids don't look like him. Now, and, and he doesn't know any other way. Now, on the flip side of that, I, I'll tell this story because it's funny. He he did a, a, like, like a, a lip sync battle. He did a lip sync battle a few years ago and that kind of thing. Now, remember, the, the, the majority of people at the school, none of them look like him. Right. So when I typically go, I'm typically the only black parent there. So he's doing a lip sync battle. So I go into the auditorium and I sit. Nobody sits next to me. They they sit they drill you know this is not for a fact and it's okay so it's not like they they don't sit in the same row but nobody sits next to me so let's say there's three seats on my right and three seats on my left that are unoccupied they'd rather stand on the wall wow. so woman comes yeah this is at his school so woman comes um over and she hands me a flyer and so I look at the flyer and it's for people who are homeless. They thought I was a homeless individual who just oh happened to walk into the auditorium. And this is at his school. 
So hold on, let, let, let me get this. So the, the lip sync battle happens and kids are going up and they're doing their thing and they're falling back. So Noah is the last kid that goes. That's my son, sorry. He goes up, he, music, boom, 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 boom. He comes walking all the way down the aisle. Now he, he, he's in the acting field, he's, he has the acting bug now. Comes walking down the aisle and tears it up. Everybody's up yelling, oh my God, everybody's up yelling. And so, like that. That's my boy. That's my boy. Well, no, 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 no. So I, but now when he went down the aisle, I got up out of my seat and scattered down and said, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Cause I wanted to get video. I wasn't going to be able to see. And I sat down and I was able to videotape him. Right. So he does this thing. Remember, Oh my God. And the winner is Noah Leverett. I go back to my seat. It was like I, I had shot a spider web and draw them all, drew them all close to me. I got him patting me on the back. Oh my God. Is that your son? Great dad. And that kind of thing because all of a sudden I was saved. Noah still doesn't know that story to this day. And he'll probably, when he sees it, he'll, he'll get it. But that's the kind of dynamic where like you, if, if you give them opportunity and they don't know anybody any better and you let them keep that kind of innocence, that is what you want in your child. You, you want it where, where they, and as you know, your children introduce you to wonder all the time anyway, when they're of a certain age, the way they view a butterfly, the way they can, pick up a dandelion and blow on it and just watch it spread. And to them, it's magical. Mm. The things that we take for granted because we're always on pause or we're always on high alert, or our shoulders are up and we're waiting for the next thing to happen or the next shoe to drop. And much like you said, this world is, it can be a really tough place to grow up in. It can be a really tough place to go or grow up in. Um, on the flip side, you have some things that are of wonder, that are of beauty, and you have some good people, much like yourself. You know, we we don't have a whole lot in common from the outside looking in. Right. From the outside looking in. Think about it. We don't have a whole lot in common. Um, we, I know you grew up in Central California. Chances are there weren't a whole lot of us up there. Right. I grew up in a neighborhood where nobody looked like you. Right. You get it? But we still have that same common thread of, number one, we're dads. Right. I, I could connect with you on on any given day, and I because because I could talk dad stuff all day. Now, what we share in common, we like the same sports teams, and I have no idea. But that common thread, when I hear you talk about your your boys and and your experiences growing up, you know, in your household, and how much you adore your wife, and you know, you throughout the 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 number of years in which you've been married, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And you can learn, you can learn from that. And it's an inspiration to others because it's possible. You get it? No matter what social media is telling you, no matter what you're seeing on television, it's possible. And it has nothing to do with, oh, look what Brian's doing. Because there are people out there who are doing it and putting it together and keeping it together day to day. And it takes work. It takes work. It takes consistency in order to have whatever it is you have. And that has little or, in my opinion, little or nothing to do with financial reward. It has everything to do with the connectability that you want with people. Because if you're, if, if you're being of service, and I'm a firm believer, and I've, told, I've talked to my boys about that since one, make sure you're being of service, son. Mm. And that's not being a servant, like subservient and being a slave. That's not what I'm saying. But you make sure you're always being of service to somebody. And see, if you're doing that, you're always full. And if you're doing that, People will take care of you, whether you realize it or not, because they recognize your value in that area. So to answer your question, I have no idea how, how to teach them specifically, <laughs> specifically um, regarding the difference in races, because that's that's going to be a part of what they do. So that's going to be when their mom and I would talk, that's going to be a part of what they have when they go outside. Yeah. We need to make sure that when they're here, this place is their fortress. Right. This place is their safe haven. There's mm -hmm. no no way they're gonna fight outside of here and fight in here. That's right. when we're not doing that to them. We're gonna equip them, we're gonna give them the tools and the fuel to go out there and do what they need to do until they need to come back and re-energize. That is what we want. And that is we've been on the same mindset and the same accord since one. Um, so that's that's helped us with with raising our children in this environment where you're you're being bombarded with the vision and those kind of things that are going on. Um, and I'll, I'll tell this part real quick, and this has everything to do with me, how some things change and some things are still the same. 
Um, like I say, where we currently are, it, it's it, it, it's a safe area or what was considered a safe area. I had my car tossed uh, right before I had my accident. I think I told you I had an accident a month ago. Uh, I had my car tossed here where I was profiled. I know I was profiled. Um, I came out and I'm driving and going up the street. They didn't light me up. I didn't even see them. They didn't light me up until I got to the top of the hill, turned left and started going down Sepulveda. That's when they lit me up. So I was surprised. It's like, what did I do? I know I'm not speeding. I have no idea what it is. So three police cars, three three police cruisers come up and wow. one woman here, cars back there. No, and now, okay, I'm, I'm good. When, when I finish it, you'll be like, I get it. So woman, and it's a woman cop, and she comes up, you know, she's like, well, you know, um, you turned, when you make that right turn out of the mall, you turned into the secondary lane. And I'm thinking, I didn't just come from the mall, which I did not. I didn't come from the mall. So she's like, well, you know, you turned into the secondary lane. You know, can, can I have your, um, your driver's license? So I give her my license, and she goes and runs my license. She doesn't ask for my registration, doesn't ask for my insurance. So she comes back and asks if I have any, uh, well, well, before she left, the first time she asked if I had any drugs or, or guns in my car. I'm like, no. So she asked that four times before I had to ask. I had to answer her like, ma'am, that's the fourth time you've asked me that. This is the fifth. I don't have anything in my car. Well, she's now, profiling police, right there. She's profiling oh, right there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. She never, now the thing is, she never asked me for my registration. Oh, she right. said my tags were expired, which they are not. Because I showed my registration to the other officer who's leaning in my passenger window. So she comes back and eventually gets me out the car. Um, she, you know, do you have any guns or weapons on you? Any weapons? On? I'm like, no. So she pats me down, got me in the car, pats me down. I'm like, are you serious? So she puts my hands behind my back, locks my hands, cuffs me, and walks me backwards. Walks me backwards in between the car. And now the officer who's on the sidewalk is telling me to sit here. And there's like uh like 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 a pottery fence next to the bank where you know the flowers are and that kind of stuff. She's telling me to sit there. She's like, no, sit on the sidewalk. Sit on the curb. All right, okay. And because I've had this done to me enough times where it's not like you don't feel violated, but it doesn't affect you the same way someone who may have had it happen to them the first time, where you're mm. questioning everything that they did. So you know the protocol and you know what's gonna happen. So the other officer comes and takes the cuffs off me. And I'm just like, I'm thinking, what's going on? And there's an officer over here and he's holding his vest. And there's another officer over here for me. I'm like, come on, man. And I'm out here by myself. So once she does that, she tosses my car. She tosses the glove compartment, goes through my trunk, goes through my center console, goes through all these things. Now, granted, never asked for my registration, never asked for my insurance, did not write me a ticket. I, all I could do was shake my head at her and, uh, excuse me, can I get a card from every single one of you? I know my rights, but I just need I just need a card from every, you guys carry cards. I need a card from every single one of you. I, I was, I mean, literally, man, I wasn't in tears, but because you had that where you just, you feel so unempowered, you can't, you have no say, you have no voice. That is the kind of stuff I prepare my sons for. I remember having a conversation with my father on how to act accordingly around the police. And I remember looking at my father and his father having that same conversation. I've had that same conversation with my boys. As have I. Generations. As yeah, have I. That, that's, that's, that's four generations. That's not the way that should be. Right. They work for us. Right. They work for us. My tax dollars pay your, pay your salary. In this area, because I live in this area. My tax dollars pay your salary. But it's, it's I, when I tell them these stories, they don't understand it and they can't apply it to their lives because they've never experienced it. That's truth. Truthfully, that's the way you want that to be. Right. You don't, ne you don't necessarily want them to be innocent. You want them to be frugulent in the way they go about observation and their surrounding and what could potentially be. But you do not want them always on alert if they, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? Right. But there is a protocol. You make sure you keep your hands where they can see them. Unless they ask for something, you do not reach for it. Okay? And if you have something, they ask for your wallet, 
If it is in your left pocket, you keep that left, that left hand on the steering wheel and you reach for it with your right hand. That is protocol. And that that is what police officers look for. So to answer that question more thoroughly, I, I prepare them the best way I know how based on the experiences in which I have. And even though they can't comprehend the experiences that I have because they have had their own, what could potentially be? Right. So when it does happen or if it does happen, you're not so shocked where it throws you off where your behavior will cause you harm. Right. Yeah, no, I, I I thank you for sharing that story. I'm sorry that that happened to you, but you know, unfortunately that does happen and it happens yeah. daily uh, throughout the world. It's not just here in Southern California. It happens throughout the world, right. but um, the fact that, you know, you're not necessarily trying to equip your boys, but the experiences that you've had and maybe your wife too, but the household that you guys raise your boys in and the home life that they have, I'm a big believer in, and I'm a big, uh, I believe in the fact of our, our kids adapt and pick up things outside the home that maybe we don't expect them to, but it's how they're loved in the home that teaches them right from wrong when they're outside the home. And the way that you guys do that, obviously you guys are doing that because you're showing them that this is their safe, like you said, their safe haven. I, I I say the same thing to my boys. This is the safe space. This is where you guys can come and be safe. But when you guys are not around me, I'm expecting that you're going to know the difference from right and wrong. And we're going to love you. Even if you do wrong, we're still going to love you the same. We're still your, we're still on, uh, my boys are big sports guys. So we're still on your team, right? That's what I like to say. Right. I'm, I'm still your teammate. Um, we'll get right. through it together. But how you raise your kids in a in a loving home will translate into the individual that they are outside the home. And the fact that you I, guys are doing that with your two boys is is great. And that's the way it should be. That is exactly the way it should be. So, um, Sean, thank you for uh, thank you for sharing that. I mean, Sean shared a lot of stories uh, there, folks, with you guys to to not talk so much about the race and the things that have happened in his life, but really to inspire you to help raise your kids uh, in a world that's tough, in a world that's hard, um, but to help them be productive members of society and know right from wrong and, and be aware, like Sean talked a lot about being aware of our surroundings. That's huge. I was in the military and that they taught us that be aware of your surroundings. When I go into a, when I go into a building that I'm not familiar with, my, my, I'm facing the door always, always facing the door because I have to be aware of my surroundings. So <clears throat> I, I just, uh, I commend you brother for sharing the stories that you shared. Um, and I, you know, I typically don't, well, my, I mean, you, you talked a lot and I typically like to talk <laughs> a little bit more on these episodes, but I want, but the point, the point that I let you do that is to, to because I know what you're sharing is so impactful mm -hmm. And so inspiring and shares a message of not only love, but hope and not just for us as dads, but for our kids. So I get emotional when I talk about that stuff, because it is, it is, it is truly one of the greatest things that we can do for our kids is show them the love and share, share these stories with them because we don't know what they're going to face when they get out in the world on their own. And we want to make sure that they're equipped the right way. So Sean, um, we have gone long, but I, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, no, I, no. I, I was, I was just going to say to your listeners, man. If if they are not, and you know, I, I, I you, you'll, you'll hear on the podcast that your podcast comes out this coming Wednesday, and you'll hear on there how I'm talking about you're impacting the world. And in, in my opinion, you are one of the most impactful people in the world today oh, because you. you're starting at no, no, man. And that's I'm not doing that to fill you up. That is my. That is truly how I feel. You know, I, I know a ton of men, a ton of males. I don't know a lot of men. And the, the way you're going about doing what you're doing, the way you're raising your kids, your sense of family, uh, your commitment to your country and, and coming back and putting this together and wanting to get the word out about how to be a better dad and giving these examples is applaudable. I mean, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you for having me. I mean, I'm honored. I'm yeah. honored to be here. Well, I, I thank you for sharing that. I really do. Um, you know, the the point of the podcast was really it was a, it was a hobby, but it was a hope that it, it was a hobby that was built off of a hope 
to really inspire dads to be the best they can be for their families. And you're certainly doing that for yours. So the fact that you are, the fact that you're sharing these stories and sharing what has happened to you as a young man, but also inspiring two young men in your house uh, to be better than who you were uh, is awesome. Uh, so uh, I appreciate it. Um, Sean, if my listeners wanted to look you up, learn a little bit more about you, best places for them to do that. Maybe they want to, um, check out the nonprofit, any of those things, where, where, where can they go and do all those things? Yeah. Yeah. Our, our, our nonprofit is rooted friends project. That's rooted R O O T E D friends project.com. Uh, you can look me up at body art by Sean and my name is spelled S H A U N and my podcast, which is straight up with Sean, which is dropping weekly now, which without that, I wouldn't, Brian and I wouldn't be having this conversation right. right now. man. So uh, you can get at me through any of those platforms. I would love to hear from you guys. I would love to hear feedback, not only on this podcast, but on the things that I put out. Um, and if you want to volunteer, you want to volunteer, donate, or ho however you want to get involved with the nonprofit, we're always looking for that. We're always That's looking for that. That's awesome. Uh, well, thank you again, Sean. Uh, I appreciate uh, who you are. I appreciate the fact that you did reach out because, hey, you know what? Social media is can be can be an ugly thing for to to be a part of, but it can also be a beautiful thing. And without social media, Sean and I wouldn't have connected. So to know him and know that you know he's essentially in my backyard, uh, you know, same same <laughs> same area for for the most part uh, is awesome. So hopefully one of these days you and I will get a chance to uh, grab a meal, break some bread together, and there you go. Uh, share some stories. I'd like that. Yeah, I'd like that. Thank you, Brian. Yeah. Thank you, awesome. Uh, thank you again, Sean. Thank you guys uh, very much for joining me on another episode of Dad Up. I really appreciate my guest, Sean Leverett. And make sure you guys are checking out his podcast, which is brand new, just started, but he's he's rocking it and he's doing re uh, remarkable things. I'm excited to see where the podcast takes him, but also check out Rooted Friends. If you want to help out in any way, make sure you guys are checking that out. Um, and you can find him on Instagram as well. I'll make sure to have all those, all those handles in the uh, show notes. But thank you guys for joining me again on another episode of Dad Up. I look forward to seeing you all next time. Wow. Another amazing episode in the books. So much was shared and I'm truly grateful my guest was able to pour into you to help you elevate your dad game and really dad up. Make sure you bang that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. And while you're here, please don't forget to leave me a rating and a review. I always appreciate the feedback. Also, did you know you can watch the video interview of this episode? You can by simply going to my YouTube channel at Dad Up Podcasts. Please don't forget to subscribe to my channel. And one last thing, don't forget, your role as a dad is one of the most important roles you have. So if you need a little help or have questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me on my website at daduptribe.com or at my Instagram page at daduppodcast. Until next time, everyone, dad up.